Nah, none of our homes are like that, right? Isn't it funny? I'm enjoying this series. I hope you are uh, looking at, at having a blessed home and walking through uh, the Beatitudes in the Bible, in Matthew, which, which ultimately means blessed, right? And looking at how really life is blessed when we have Jesus at the center of our home. What does that mean? How does that impact us? And uh, so we're looking at different elements over the course of this series. Uh, Being a Christian home and a Christ-centered home are very different. And I just wanted to take a moment before we jump into this week's topic and look at that again. It's it's a a cultural thing, if you will. It's easy to say, I'm Christian, uh, because maybe we've got Jesus as a part of our life, but but is Jesus what your life is centered around? Very different to be a Jesus-centered home versus a Christian home. And I, I had this image in my mind while I was praying for uh, this series. And it was, have you ever seen those guys that can either take a steel pipe and a balancing board and they like can just totally perfectly balance and they even like stack them on top of each other? I think I've seen it on America's Got Talent or those different things. Or even some of them can take a, a sphere, a ball, and balance on top of that. And, and it's amazing to watch. But it's different if Jesus is that ball or sphere and you're balanced on Jesus, that, that's being a Jesus-centered home. Very different if you're just trying to add Jesus to the things you're balancing in your life, but something else is your center. And that's the challenge of this series is how do we make sure Jesus is at the center Like, that's what our life is balanced on. So week one, we looked at uh, blessed are those who uh, are ultimately righteous, or maybe your translation of the Bible says hunger and thirst for justice. So we we looked at what it is to hunger and thirst for justice. Week two, last week, we looked at what it is to have pure hearts. And how do we do that in our world today? And today we're going to look at peace. The passage is Matthew 5, 9, and it says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Many translations of the Bible will say, uh, they'll say, blessed are the peacemakers. So we're looking at being peacemakers today, and I couldn't think of any better peacemakers than those that have served in our armed forces. It's Memorial Day weekend, and we just want to say a special thank you today for those who have served our country. I think the families feel that. Those who have families that have lost a loved one in service, our heart is for them. They sent off and miss their peacemaker. Ultimately, for our country, peacemaker. What a, what a great example of being a peacemaker, being willing to sit, lay down our lives. And Jesus did that for us. He laid down his life so that we could find peace. And I don't know about you, but not many homes, uh, when you really evaluate your home, I don't know if you scored yourself on, let's say, a, a scale of 1 to 10, that you would say you're really, really high on the peacemaker scale, right? Like, is your home full of peace? Um, uh, I think oftentimes we, we make comedy 
our, our country does. If you look at sitcoms, they make comedy over the lack of peace in homes. In fact, the dysfunctionality. And we laugh at it. Why? Because so many of the scenarios drawn out are accurate. And so we, we kind of make light of this functional, dysfunctional home life that we can so often create. Uh, we have uh, many scenarios that make it challenging. And, and maybe it's the kids that are like, you know, you hurt me, I'll hurt you. Or uh, I don't know, does nobody, else, nobody else's kids like take that law of justice in their home? I think um, there is that scenario. Uh, I, don't, I, I, I look and, and say our homes could look like a typical professional sport, if you will, if you kind of take your home and and uh, it's no difference, really, than professional sports. You have the, uh, the initial offense that is caused by a sibling. And then you have the retaliation. And who gets the penalty call in sports? The retaliation, right? It's always the guy who retaliates that gets the flag, that gets the yellow card, that gets the red card, whatever sport you're watching. And, uh, and it's just so interesting to me because it's the same way in homes. We tell our kids, don't retaliate. But yet they do. Not only is it like that in professional sports, but in our home, it's, it's like professional soccer. They flop. Have you ever seen this? Professional sports, or I guess you could say NBA if, you're follow, if you like LeBron. He flops really good. But anyway, there's, you know, there's like this flopping issue where, you know, one person does something and then the other person does it and we haven't noticed yet, but then you see, you look up just in time for the flop. And it's like, you know, and it's just hilarious. You just kind of, I enjoy it. I wish sometimes that we did have video cameras in the house just to like watch the highlight film because it's got to be humorous. That was totally a flop. Let's, let's, let's do the replay. Let's go back to the booth. But that's our home. And in fact, you know, our five-year-old boy doesn't know better. Like you tell him, Preston, don't retaliate. Well, it's just like to him, you hurt me. It's not like I hurt you. It's more like I'm going to kill you back. You know, he's just brutal. We'll get these phone calls. That's Preston. We can't babysit our own brother. Well, why can't you? What's wrong? He's hitting us. We'll tell him not to hit you. He's hitting us with a golf club. Where did he find a golf club? Uh, you know, it's just like, how is this happening in our home? And in the background, you hear, you know, ah, screaming drama. By the time you come home, oh, he's fine. It was just a minute, you know, and you're just like, how did this happen? It's the world we live in. Wait, that's not our home. Our home's totally peaceful. It's perfect. Uh, yes. Anyway, if you drive by, the worst times to listen in are, <laughs> there are dysfunctional windows. Here are kids getting out the door for school. Oh, did I just give you the right time to listen? Don't. Uh, you have all kinds of issues, not just those with kids, but like you have you have blended home issues. You're trying to bring two different families together as one. You have uh, relatives living with you for a season or kids coming back home issues. Wow, right? It's like there are never-ending home challenges that are the opposite of peace. They're tension. So how do we get through that? How do we really become that Christ-centered home? And, and our big idea today is Christ-centered families are peacemakers not peacekeepers. And there is a big difference. And I think we live in a world that has learned how to keep peace, not make peace. Making peace is hard work, which I love the New Living Translation 
for that very reason where it says, work for peace. It's a lot of work to get peace. Um, peacekeeping is interesting. What is it? What, what will we do? We'll say, you know, hey, take a time out. Take a breather. Right? You'll do anything to keep the peace. Um, uh, go to your room. It's not, it, and there is a thing. You don't want to, like, we'll say this later, but you, it's not that you want to deal with the issue necessarily while it's hot. You do want to let it cool off a little and then deal with it. But oftentimes then we never revisit it because we're just keeping peace. Why bring it up? We want to keep the peace. We avoid parties because somebody's there we don't get along with. We avoid public venues and gatherings because we're trying to keep the peace. In Jesus' time, everything was eye for an eye tooth for a tooth. And it was actually quite a radical concept that he would challenge people right at the beginning of his teaching to be peacemakers because that was not the law. Being a peacemaker was a radical change. Peacekeeping is temporary and they, you work around the issues and it's avoidance driven and retaliation is brutal and, but just... But Jesus goes, no, don't turn the other cheek. He's like, just turn the other cheek. If they hit you on one, turn the other. Whatever you can do to make peace. And you're going, what? Jesus introduces this radical way of thinking and a way of dealing with tension to not avoid but to deal with, to lovingly confront those that hurt you, to do good to those that harm you, to do whatever it is in your power to communicate, I forgive you and I'm at peace with you, a way of ending the cycle instead of keeping it going and generational battles that are still going on today in our world we live in. Peacemaker, or again, as the New Living Translation calls it, maker of peace or worker of peace. And it was passed down to the disciples, and they saw Jesus demonstrate this way of peace. And the disciples taught others that began to follow. And it's really cool to see how Jesus' teaching right there in Matthew 5 is translated years later through the lens of Paul as he writes Romans 12. Listen to verse 17 through 21. It says, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scripture says, I'll take revenge, I'll pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Wow, that's radically different than eye for an eye. Charge! Not people should live in peace with you. It's not bad things won't happen to you because you're so good. It's not everyone must do what they can. This says the key to peacemaking is do all that you can. You do good. You conquer evil 
with good. Not just with some, live at peace with everyone. So, like, it's up to me, right? When we read passages like that, we just have to pause and say, okay, God, then it's up to me. How do I become a peacemaker? What does peacemaking look like? How do I be a peacemaker? And that's what we're going to look at today. Three simple thoughts before we enjoy some donuts. Thought one, tell the truth in love. Now, we live in a culture that kind of likes this one in wrong spirit, but they kind of like this one, right? I think people like to tell the truth, and there's some that just consider themselves. They'll, they'll like, way back on their personality and say, well, I'm just, I just say it like it is, right? I'll pick on you in a second. Ephesians 4.15 says this. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. We'll speak the truth in love. What is this? What is this? Because we deal with this issue daily. Well, the best time to speak the truth in love, and I hinted to this a few moments ago, is not in the moment of conflict. It doesn't come across in love at that moment, right? If you unleash the truth bomb, right? Well, truth bomb, let me get it out. Bam! It usually involves casualties if you do that. It's better to kind of take that deep breath because you're going to have to build up a spirit of patience and tenderness and gentleness to be able to make peace instead of just avoid it and keep peace, right? In the heat of the moment is risky. Confronting the issue is the key here, not the person. I mean, we, we talked about it last week, right? Love to the heart. Loving to the heart is, is loving like the core root of the problem and not just the exterior what we're seeing. It's trying to understand this customer shouting at me on the other side of the counter is not really mad at me. They're having a bad day. This person that's, that's cutting me off on the freeway is, is not really, you know, trying to make me angry that's Thad, and he just takes literally in one mile get into the left lane. So he went all the way to like 1.1 miles before he got in the... Oh, did I just confess I'm that guy? I don't drive a gray Prius. Moving on. As my nose grows. Uh, it says a mile. Anyway, uh, you know, it's just looking at what are those things that we can do to realize, okay, I need to look at the real... There's got to be way to make peace here. There's got to be something at the heart of this issue that I can help calm. And one of the things I, I walk through in the area of communication with couples, maybe it will be a help in this area. We, if somebody says, hey, can you help, you know, do our wedding and do some coaching for us or whatever, we'll walk through this, this uh, couples thing called prepare and rich. And uh, one of the assertiveness and communication tools they give you is uh, pretty simple, but yet profound. I, I call it like the drive-through window strategy. Uh, it's communicating, hey, when you fill in the blank, it makes me feel like fill in the blank, right? When you shout at me, it makes me feel belittled. Or when you just walk away, makes me feel alone. 
So that's one way of speaking the truth, right? Just being assertive and speaking the truth in love in hopes that this person can understand me. But here's the key. is not just the person who speaks in truth. It's the person who responds understanding the truth. So they call it a drive through window because the order guy always talks back, right? You're like, I'd like a, you know, cheeseburger and a shake. And they go, that will be uh, chicken nuggets and uh, Coke Diet Coke. You're like, no, and you get louder. That's kind of how drive through. But you do it until you get it right. The order's right on the screen. The order's right when they read it back to you. Then you go up to the window. What if we do that in our relationships? When you just walk away, I feel like you don't care. I feel alone. And then so the person who's being told that has to say, so what I understand is that you're saying is when, when I just walk away, it makes you feel alone. And you're like, oh. We're both saying and hearing the same things. That gives you a base of truth to build on. Not as easy as it sounds. It's clunky at first to practice. But if you get in the habit of it, peace. Peace. It's a simple exercise. But unhealthy and destructive relationships are when you don't communicate with one another and you don't speak the truth in love, and you allow wedges to build themselves in spaces of your life that the enemy can come and take advantage of. Challenging thought that we should tell the truth in love. And secondarily, and even more difficult probably, right? Apologize when you're wrong. <laughs> That's the... Anybody old enough to remember... Happy days. I know some of you are, but uh, others of you. Okay, anyway. Uh, the, the, here's the deal. Do you remember the fawns? The fawns on there. Who could forget the fawns? But what was the, what was the one thing he could never do? He could not apologize. He couldn't say, I'm sorry. And he would, it, it was, you know, kind of that, that dry 80s humor. Or was that 80s? I don't even know. Anyway, so, you know, it's that dry kind of slapstick I'm so, so, he couldn't do it. It was like the original Jim Carrey, you know. I'm so, he couldn't get I'm sorry out. Can we, is it possible? Like, is that a challenge for us? Do we need to figure out how to say I'm sorry and like mean it from the heart? James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Or it's worded this way in 1 John 1, 6 through 10, which may not be on the screen. I don't know. That may be the one I threw in. Uh, so we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. If we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our life. You know, saying I'm sorry to one another is just like confessing our sins to God. It's just saying, it was my bad. 
I did this, and I understand it makes you feel this way. I'm sorry. God, I know your word challenges me to do this, but I did the opposite. I'm sorry, God. That's what confession is. It's simple. It's not, we don't have to do it in a, in a traditional sense of having to gather the priests together and have this moment uh, from one booth to the next, which I know some of us have practiced in this room. But we can literally go directly to God and confess our sins. We can go to God and, and, and one another and confess our sins and apologize. We can say we're wrong. It's okay to be wrong. And it's okay to seek forgiveness. If we play the victim card over and over again without taking responsibility for our part, or if we claim, oh, well, yeah, I, I've never done wrong. I'm pretty perfect. Then we're making God out to be a liar. And that's the challenge here. If we could admit specific actions without excuses. I mean, do you have responsibility over anybody around you? And if you do, uh, you've probably had to confront someone before. If you've ever had to call somebody to expectations. And it's always the worst when you're doing that. And they don't just receive it and make a change. They make an excuse. That's the toughest scenario. Because you're like, come on, be teachable. Come on. Teachability will say, you're right. My bad. I slacked on this. I'm in the wrong. Sorry. I want to make it better. And it's challenging to me to see the difference between sorry this went wrong and actually coming to grips and saying sorry I did this. Like I actually did this. I confess and I don't want to do it again. Sorry I went wrong is remorse and not confession. Here's the difference. This week, I don't know if you were watching the news, but the week started off in the news with a horrific accident in, I think it was SeaTac, where a 15-year-old girl uh, was driving a, a BMW and, and hit a pickup with a father and son in it and split the cab from the bed, just split the pickup in half. Uh, father and son went to Harborview in critical condition. Son paralyzed for the rest of his life. And uh, 15-year-old in the driver's seat of the BMW, obviously no license, and car smelt of marijuana. So the news story was that on Monday, but the bigger story during the course of the week is the fact that she couldn't do anything but weep in court and show remorse, but yet denied any responsibility for the accident. That's the challenge of remorse versus confession. God doesn't want our remorse for sin. He wants our confession for sin. He wants us to just lay it down and say, I can't do this, because it's at that spot he can then build us back up. But if we're just remorseful, we haven't really given him control of that, whatever it is in our world. I'll accept the consequences for my sin. At that point, we open ourselves up for forgiveness, and God can build us back up through the grace he's given us through Jesus taking our place for sin on the cross. But if we say we're without sin, 
We don't yet have a way for him to strengthen us. Don't stop at sorry. Seek forgiveness. Right? That leaves us with thought three. Forgive and let go. Forgive and let go. I heard this at the beginning of the week. Why didn't they give a balloon to Elsa? Because she would let it go. I thought that was hilarious. Some of you got it pretty quick there. Let it go. Let it go. Anyway, Jimmy Fallon does this thing where kids write jokes, and he tells them, and that was one of them. And when I, when I realized that this was one of our points today, forgive and let go, I could not resist but to throw a kid joke out there that I absolutely laughed at. I'll be honest, I laughed pretty hard when I first heard it. So, uh, Isn't that hilarious? It's so easy to say, let it go. But all of us in this room know that when we've been hurt, when, when we've failed or someone has failed us, it's not easy to let it go. It could take years to let go. And it's easy to forgive. Yeah, I forgive them, but boy, I'm going to hold on to the hurt. I'm going to hold on to the pain and the memories. Let it go. Here's a challenging thought. If you're the offender or you've been offended, forgiveness, or let me rephrase it, failure, (laughs) because it's not forgiveness, Failure is not final. I think we want that truth for ourselves, right? I want to say failure is not final for me. There's no light that gets turned off at the end of the tunnel. I can keep going. I can turn my life around. And we want that grace and mercy for ourselves. But then when someone fails us, Why is it so hard for us to give that same quote back to the person who offended us? To tell them, failure is not final. To tell them that, okay, I'm somehow going to have to dig deep within me, and it's going to take the power of God in some circumstances to forgive here, but I'm going to have to forgive and, and, and somehow let go so that I'm not holding their failure to finality. Way difficult. This is not easy. And I get it. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Wow. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Failure is not final, whether you're the failure or someone fails you. You must forgive. We need the power of God to do that, don't we? This is not easy. This is difficult. Many of you have been so deeply hurt that asking, how do I let go is a reality that's a conversation you and Bible, you and you and God need to have, and you need to read the Bible to find answers for. It's doable, 
We're not saying miraculously you have to, to come and somebody prays for you and you leave and you're like, wow, I forgive him. I let it go. It's awesome. Hunky-dory. Family reunion. Let's, I'm going this year. It's, it may not be that easy. But it's the grace and spirit of grace we have to have. How has the Lord forgiven you? And how does that mean you should forgive others? Boy, the Lord forgave me for so much. That's probably why I'm so, so gracious to those around me. Which I know at times frustrates people. Because they want me to be a little harder. And not be so easy on others. But it, in reality is, man, I was a wreck. I was a mess. And God lifted me up. So I better well have open arms and heart for those that are a wreck and a mess around me. I need to forgive as he forgave me. Love as he loved me. If you've been forgiven, you must forgive others. It's what we do as followers of Jesus. When Jesus is at the center of our lives, we forgive. Family is worth it. I think some of the hardest people to forgive are those in our own home, right? Man, if, if you practice the silent treatment, that's like the ultimate brutal, right? It's like in this arena, it's, right? It's worth the work for peace to bring the issue to the table and speak the truth in love. It's worth the work to not cut someone out and stop communicating to them. It's worth the work to not walk away. It's worth the work to show mercy as far as it depends on you, right? Because it's you, Jesus, is challenging to be the source of peace. Family is not just blood, though. It takes work even in a church because we're a body of Christ, right? I love that both campuses are together today, those of us who are in town. And I look at that and just go, wow, we're, we're a body, we're a family, we're a church, right? And, and the challenge we have is to not have that same issue of unforgiveness towards one another. And how hard is that? How many people do you know that have just, man, I got mad, this church offended me, and so I'm moving to the next church. Man, I'm so mad because this church offended me too. Man, people offend me. Well, yet churches are going to fail you because they're full of people. And you know what people do? They make mistakes. But what if we just be family and forgive one another and look? Now, open life, obviously, we're never going to hurt. We're never going to fail you. I'm just kidding. I mean, the reality is, though, is, is mistakes happen. People inside the same congregation make mistakes in one another's lives. Maybe not on a Sunday. Maybe it's out in community. How do we forgive one another? How do we live at peace with one another? That's part of the challenge, too. We're a body. I don't know. I think we just need to think of that context of, of we're a church that's Jesus-centric. So we need to be, have that same balance of forgiveness in our tensions, in our offenses, in the things that bother us. Our action step today is simple. Make peace. Could it get any easier than that, right? Make peace. So I want to pray for you, and the worship team will play here in a second, and uh, then Ed will come and, and close us out, share with you to fill out the back of your Connect card and your giving envelope and that stuff in just a second. 
But there were three scenarios I could think of that really we needed to respond to in the area of making peace. And uh, the first is, some of us in this room, we just need to answer that challenge to be a peacemaker. And, and we would say, okay, I know there's some scenarios in my life where I've been a, a peacekeeper. And God, I just want to say today, here I am. Use me as a peacemaker. means I'm going to be present in some places I maybe wouldn't usually be present. And I'm going to afford some extra margin and time to help there be peace in my world around me. Maybe it's at work or home or in your neighborhood. I don't know. But God, here I am. Help me be a peacemaker. If you want to be a peacemaker today, and, and for the sake of our prayer time today, I just want us to close our eyes and kind of hear from God. Man, this is in between me and him, and I just want to say, okay, God, if you're saying I want to be a peacemaker, would you just do something I normally don't do, but lift your hand? Because yeah, I want to know who I'm praying with. It just wants to be people of peace, workers of peace in our community. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Tons of us in here. There's a second group that I want to pray for. Many of you in here, you know there's realities in your family that need healing. There's betrayal. There's brokenness. Family against family has caused pain in your personal life, and you need the courage to forgive or maybe the courage to let go. If that's you, could you raise your hand? I want to know who I'm praying for in that world. Yeah, yeah tons of us. And the final group that I want to pray for today, and I'm going to pray for you all week. Man, if I asked you today, if you're at peace with God, you would question that. You couldn't say with absolute certainty that you're at peace with God. And today I want to give you an opportunity for that. If you're unsure today, you're like, man, I just don't know, but I want to know walking out of here today that I'm at peace with God. Would you Raise your hand because I want to pray for you to be at peace with, with God. It's awesome. 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 God, I thank you for all those who just had that courage. And it's a personal courage because a bunch of us eyes closed and heads bowed just to focus on what you would have for our lives to say that they need peace in their life in one realm or another. Some, Lord God, I pray that they, they'd have the courage to be the peacemaker, that they would sense that promise in your word that says you're always with us and, and you will help us in our times of need. And one of those times is, is to equip them and empower them to be peacemakers. For those in the room that want to be empowered to be a peacemaker, just may they realize you're with them, helping them in every moment that they attempt to be a peacemaker. And I as well want to pray for those today that have been wronged by family. They've been betrayed. Things that were never supposed to happen to them inside the context of family have happened to them, and it hurts. God, would you give them the boldness? Would you give them the unfathomable capability to forgive? And as well, God, may you bring peace like never before into their life because they're unlocking the prison that they've locked themselves into by not forgiving. And, and as well, Lord, help them to let go. Wow, that's way huge to ask. Only with your help can we. Help them, God, today. And finally, Lord, for those that just want to know they're at peace with you, 
your word promises us, and we read it. If we just come to you, if we say, here I am, Lord, give me your grace. I confess my sins before you. I want to follow you as Lord. It says in your word that you will forgive us of all unrighteousness, and we'll be made right before you. So God, for those that need to do that today, may they invite you into their life. May they choose to say yes to Jesus and follow you today and discover a new sense of freedom and peace in their life this week like they've never imagined possible. In your name I pray, amen.